You're listening to Nursing Review Radio. Uh, Professor Deborah Jackson is a professor of nursing at UTS and holds a number of international roles, including professor of nursing at Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust in the UK. She's also editor-in-chief of the Journal of Clinical Nursing. Deborah, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Connor. A lot of your, your research work revolves around pressure injuries. Are pressure injuries a fact of life? No, Connor. Pressure injuries are both preventable and predictable. So in an ideal world, patients wouldn't have them. And so with preventable pressure injuries, what are they costing the health system? Look, these preventable wounds are enormously expensive to the healthcare system. And internationally, they cost billions of dollars a year. In Australia alone, they're costing the Australian taxpayers approximately $1 billion a year. And that's in addition to thousands and thousands and thousands of lost bed days every year as well. And in the UK, treating pressure, injury, uh, pressure ulcers in the NHS costs more, the British taxpayers more than £3.8 million per day. Mm-hmm. And just think for a minute, what we could do with that money to improve public health and the health of the population if we weren't spending that amount on these these dreadful preventable wounds. And the other thing I'll add is that that's economic cost, but when we look at the human cost and the human suffering associated with these preventable, predictable wounds, the costs, are, they're, they're immeasurable. Mm-hmm. And so obviously there are a number of issues, like you just said. Um, what does it come down to most? Is it low literacy amongst professionals or is it bad practice? Or, you know, why are we seeing these injuries come up? Look, there's a, I mean, for a start, human beings are complex. complex um, there's complexities around people, particularly when they're ill or when they've got any sort of compromise to their health. So overall, there is an awareness of pressure injuries amongst the health professional community. But there is, having said that, there's room for improvement. So last year, for example, I worked with some colleagues and we did a large study of 2,949 Australian nursing students from seven universities across the country. And that showed that only 23% of those students scored 60% or more in knowledge about pressure injuries. Um, So that's really concerning because actually this is what we call fundamental knowledge. And to see such a low um, level of real knowledge in nursing students was concerning. Now, there's all sorts of complexity around that as well because the nursing curriculum is very, very, is packed. The nursing There's only three years, I guess, to give a nurse the educational preparation required, and there's an awful lot to learn. But nonetheless, that that care is fundamental to good nursing, and we were quite surprised to see that there there was such a low level that that only got 60% or more, and and not a single person got 100%. Mm -hmm. So uh, so that's concerning. Yeah, and obviously you are a professor of nursing at UTS, What do we need Mm -hmm. to do to improve that knowledge? I mean, I've heard some, uh, I've seen a paper written and the name escapes me now, but um, someone has suggested a four-year nursing degree. Is it something like that so we can fit in more or more time has to be spent on pressure injuries? At a student level, what do we have to do? Well, well, you know, it would be great to have a four-year degree for nursing and there's many people that would like to see that, but, you know, it does come down to cost and what the government and others are prepared to invest in nurses. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I think that, again, what can happen, and this is just talking about students, and the, there's, there's such massive amounts to learn, and when, they, when, when, when we as nurses, and that's registered nurses, student nurses, that's us as a nursing community, often, you know, we tend to prioritise care, and sometimes things like pressure care or what we call fundamental care doesn't really get the attention it should because we're busy focusing on the technology, we're busy doing other things with people. So, 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 so there is a lot of complexity um, around this type of care and, and what sort of attention it gets in curricula and what sort of attention it gets actually in, in the clinical environment. Mm-hmm. Going to more to the patient side, are there groups of us who are more susceptible to pressure injuries? Look, Connor, any person can get a pressure injury. So any one of us could, could get a pressure injury in the right set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. So the main contributing factors are just it's pressure, shear or friction. So they're kind of the main um, contributing factors. But when patients are affected by things such as immobility, um, any sort of lack of sensory perception, so any sort of paralysis or sort of anything that means then their, their sensory perceptions altered, a compromised nutrition and hydration or circulatory problems, they are at risk of pressure injury. So, so the thing to sometimes people think, oh, it's certain patients that get this, and the rest of us don't need to worry. But actually, any one of us could get a pressure injury in the right set of circumstances. So, pressure injuries affect, you know, neonates, brand new babies can get pressure injuries. They can and do get pressure injuries right through to, you know, from, literally from birth to end of life, even, a, a, you know, a, a, an elderly person, but anyone in between can get a pressure injury. It's more to do with the this particular factors and, and context that are, that are human beings in at a particular time that will put them at risk of developing a pressure injury. And some of your other workers looked at directly the effects of pressure injuries on patients um, I think maybe the outcomes would be pretty obvious, but what did you find in, in that um, work? Well, Connor, pressure injuries are a source of considerable harm to patients and cause enormous suffering. So from a patient perspective, getting a pressure injury is catastrophic and really does cause many, many problems. And I just mentioned a moment ago that we even have neonates with pressure injuries and I was just talking to some colleagues in Canada recently and they were describing new tiny preemie babies that were having to have plastic surgery to their faces as a result of uh, pressure injuries. So wow. there's all sorts of issues that arise once a person gets a pressure injury. These patients experience pain and discomfort going about the simplest of life activities, even resting in bed. Most of us look forward to hopping into bed and nice the comfort of being in bed and and, and being able to rest and relax in our body, you know, feeling comforted mm-hmm. and comfortable. People with pressure injuries, even getting into bed, they report pain. They can't like get themselves into a comfortable position. Um, so, so the simplest of life activities becomes complicated by pain. They're burdened by this pain, but also the smell of the wounds, the ooze of the wounds, the treatments of the wounds. So having to wait around for nurses to come so that, you know, it really affects their life in so many ways. 
And unfortunately, many of these wounds won't heal, or if they do heal, they heal very slowly. They're not wounds that are, are quick to heal, like a clean cut will heal quite quickly. Hmm. These are wounds that patients can have for years and years and years. So they have these challenges for extensive periods. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also found that there's a lack of rigorous evidence research evidence to guide nursing practice around the nuance of preventative practice. So while we we pretty much know what causes pressure injuries and we do know how to prevent them, there's nuances that we don't really know. For example, we know that moving people is really important, but there's not rigorous research around what is the nature of movement required? Do we need to do a full turn or is a tiny movement adequate? And, And if so, how frequently does that movement uh, need to be made? So there's, we, so th- there is um, really a need for rigorous research around actual protocols for um, preventative practice. Um, another really interesting thing that we've found is that a major problem is that current assessment is premised on people having Caucasian skin tones and that there are real issues for people with darker skin tones. So the the scant research that is available that looks at the differences in pressure injury prevalence, etc., in people with a different colour skin tones, either a more Caucasian skin tone or a darker skin tone, suggests that people with darker skin tones experience higher burden of harm from pressure injury. And this is because it's not a physiological difference, but it's because we're not picking up early enough that that, that that these patients are experiencing this injury. So the preventative interventions or the treatments that we initiate to stop things getting any worse are not able to be um, initiated as early uh, in a person with darker skin. So again, I know in the United States there's some research happening currently looking at how we can better meet the needs of our diverse, culturally diverse um, people that we serve. Uh, but that's a real issue where we have to be on our toes when working with in a multicultural context, which Australian nurses do. If we can move on to your work as editor-in-chief of the JCN for a minute. Mm-hmm. Obviously, these journals have big implications for the way nurses work, the, the type of what they do. And um, what, are the, what are some interesting studies that you're seeing coming out this year or what, what should we look out for the, for the year to come? Well, there's been some really interesting work done in Asia and also in Europe around assessment. So currently we, in the world, we pretty much use one of two major assessments and both of them have got, you know, they guide the nursing assessment. So when a patient comes into our our care, we do a full assessment and based on that assessment, we make a decision whether a patient is at high or low risk of getting a pressure injury. Now, there's other research that's been done that tells us that unfortunately these instruments are not optimally predictive. And so that even though the nurses are diligently doing these assessments, maybe they're not totally fit for purpose. Now, there's some really interesting research that's coming out. As I say, there's some major teams in Asia and also in Europe that are giving us other clinical indicators that are, are seeming to be more reliable than the current instruments that we're using and their patient reported outcomes. So things like nausea, uh, serum albumin levels and other um, information that, that we hope will help us to better predict which patients are likely to develop this type of problem and pick it up much, much earlier. So we're very, very excited by that. 
Um, and as I say, what's particularly exciting is that there's more than one team working on it. So there's teams of nurse scientists pretty much all over the world really working hard to try to find how can we better prevent patients from being harmed by pressure.